0: Built Not Born Episode 16. I'm Joe Chikarone. Thank you for joining us. Built Not Born is the podcast where each episode we interview everyday people living remarkable lives. Our guests have made their impact from the boardroom to the battlefield, from the jujitsu mat to the field of medicine. Today's guest is Joe Gazdeski. Joe Gazdeski is the senior director of commercial effectiveness and training for a specialty pharmaceutical company in San Diego, California. Joe has about as impressive a resume you're going to see in the corporate world. And he has a remarkable story to tell. Joe is a U.S. Army veteran. He was a commissioned officer through the ROTC program, where he was the cadet battalion commander for 13 schools. Joe actually earned two college degrees at the same time. He earned a mechanical engineering degree from Seton Hall University, where he also played Division I soccer and was a member of Seton Hall's 1991 Big East Championship team. He also has a physics degree that he earned at the same time at the New Jersey Institute of Technology. And to cap it off, he also received his MBA this spring at the University of Southern California. But most importantly, while I had Joe on the show, he and I discuss how failure is our greatest teacher, and why a leader needs to not just have tenacity and grit, but has to have the courage to try things, fail forward, and keep iterating to stay relevant not just for themselves, but for the teams they lead. Joe also talks about what he calls his greatest failure and regret, dropping out of the U.S. Army's Ranger School, and he discusses what he learned from that experience and how that experience changed his mindset about preparation and leadership And how he now makes sure the people that he leads in the corporate world are prepared and equipped with everything they need to succeed so they don't experience what he did in Ranger School. We also get into how Joe, seeing his mom suffer from mental illness, led him to the world of pharmaceuticals so he could have a positive impact and help other families and patients suffering from the same conditions. And just a quick note. This interview was recorded back in March of 2021. That's one of the first interviews I did. You'll see that I'm still working out the tech, still working out the microphone. So stay with it. Joe drops a lot of leadership wisdom, a lot of great advice, things he learned, failures he went through. So please hang in there. It's worth your time. So thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button. We have a bunch of cool interviews like this one to come. Enjoy my conversation with Joe Gazdeski, Senior Director of Commercial Effectiveness and Training and a leader of people. And remember, life is built, not born. Joe Gazdesky, welcome to the show.
1: Welcome, yeah. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Looking forward to
0: it. For our listeners who may not be familiar with your work, who are you? And what do you, Joe Gazdesky, First and foremost,
1: uh, husband for over 25 years, father to uh, two amazing kids, uh, Ella Grace, 17, and Chase Adam, 14. Two amazing dogs that are very much a part of our our family. And then on the professional side of things, I work for Acadia Pharmaceuticals, uh, and humbled and honored to be able to lead a group of individuals as part of the commercial effectiveness and training team. Where did you grow up? I would say the majority of my childhood was spent growing up down the Jersey shore, nestled somewhere right between seaside heights and, and Long Beach Island.
0: Take us back to what's an average night at dinner around the Gordeski table. What did that look like?
1: I would say an average night was no parents. And my younger sister really uh, playing that role for us to where I will be forever grateful for the role she played. And it was Domino's for many nights. It was uh, Domino's delivery and a uh, pepperoni pizza. And I think at that time, we used to rock the three liter of Coca-Cola, which I have to admit, I kind of missed the old three liter.
0: It, it's something you don't do too much. You have to hit about 30 here. You can't do it <laughs> anymore and still, and still
1: that in the Doritos. Yeah. You, yeah.
0: yeah, you got to go a little light on those. Tell us about your
1: parents. Yeah. Two incredible parents. My, my dad for the large part of his career was in, in sales and did a, a great job exposing me to all sorts of different things and uh, supporting me. A lot of my work ethic, And an understanding that I may not have all of the natural gifts that others may be given. And I'd argue don't fully take advantage of. He instilled in me the value of hard work and getting after it and practicing harder than the the person next to you. And then I'd say on the flip side of that, my mother taught me the caring side, the nurturing side. What's the most vivid memory of your childhood? I would say my most vivid memory of my childhood was probably as I'm coming up on my 30 year high school reunion this June that my wife and I are trying to figure out a way to where we can get back to the other coast and and enjoy that. I definitely think it would be the type of neighborhood that I grew up in and something that I admit, I wish I could provide more to my kids, which was as soon as that sun came up, I was outside. And once those streetlights came on, that's when I was back inside and we explored everyone's yards. Uh, If we were lucky enough, I think one of my friends had a pool and uh, if, if he was in a good mood, he'd let us go take a dip But I'd say for the large part, that was not on the regular. It was more going out in the woods, creating dirt jumps, uh, finding old wood that was left over from homes being created in the neighborhood, making jumps, half pipes, and and just enjoying one another and and being creative and making the most of of what you had, because there definitely was no no dollars sitting in my pocket to go out and, and spend on things.
0: It's funny you say that with the generation now where they're probably a little bit more privileged than we were. The technology is insane compared to where we were and how fast technology is moving and a lot of screen and device time. Like my one son, during the pandemic, him and his friends decided to start bike riding. They found the woods in our township and they just started making dirt jumps and bike trails and you have five or six 13-year-olds hanging out and they kept going back to the same spot day after day. One of the neighbors thought they were up to no good because a bunch of kids were gathering and they're just yeah. riding their bikes and they called the cops. And like at three <laughs> o'clock in the afternoon, cops call and the, the kids are riding their bikes in the woods on dirt chumps. And there was doing nothing more but like playing outside. But that is so weird sometimes that like it made a neighbor at three o'clock in the afternoon on a broad sunny day call the cops because five, 13 year olds are riding their bikes in the woods. Like it, it, Unbelievable. It's, yeah, and create, it's just a different time. So you you graduate high school. Tell us how someone goes from Seaside Heights to Seton Hall.
1: Yeah, that, that, that's an interesting one. Uh, the last time Seton Hall won the Big East Championship, we're celebrating that this year as well, 30 years ago. And at the same time was a physics major at Seton Hall University, a mechanical engineering major at New Jersey Institute of Technology and was on scholarship for ROTC, getting up at 5.30 every morning to go work out. And eventually was the cadet battalion commander for the ROTC division where 13 schools from around the state came and participated in. It's a mindset Mm -hmm. that I'm going to do these things. And yes, all of that required significant sacrifices specifically on the lack of partying end that people do during college and shining my boots while we're driving to UConn for a soccer game. And while we're on the plane, flying somewhere, having the books open in order to be able to do all those things at that type of level.
0: You mentioned 1991, Big East champs in soccer. That's no small feat. How'd that go down?
1: I would have to say first, let me frame up, minus the moment I met my wife, On my my 21st birthday and the birth of my kids, that, without a doubt, was the greatest moment of my life. I worked really hard and spent countless hours in the driveway, as I tell my kids, grabbing anyone who doesn't play soccer to play a defender and just force them to play soccer so I could get my touches in, and I tell you... The emotion, that I can still feel it right now, in that moment, feeling like all of that work had meant something, and to achieve that type of success and to celebrate with my teammates who had worked so hard and been through so much as a group to, to win the Big East Championship. And again, Seton Hall has not done that. Right now, they are ranked, I believe, number 11 in the country. So poem for, for my pirates, but they've got done that in the last 30 years. So that is, uh, that's pretty incredible. And I will never forget that moment.
0: There's nothing in life that bonds people together, like shared experiences like that. There's intense experiences. What, how many people on that team do you still keep in touch with?
1: I would say routinely half a dozen yeah, of those individuals. And yeah. then, uh, even beyond that, through through Facebook, probably close to three quarters of that team uh, is somewhat connected. Uh, switching
0: on from soccer, how'd you get involved in the ROTC? So
1: I, I tell you, that's a kind of testament to my dad. I did Scouts all throughout my childhood. Uh, like my son, like my father, like my uncle, like my brother, were all Eagle Scouts, and my through scouting we were exposed to uh, the military a lot of people in scouts have a military background as i did not have a way at the time in high school to pay for college individuals mentioned that there might be scholarships out there and my dad using his sales background said apply and i applied for every single scholarship known to man every single pro- program that was out there and available and one of them was for an ROTC scholarship and when my acceptance came back or my offer they offered me something called a four-year advanced designee scholarship but pretty much it was try a year on us we'll pay for a portion of your school which Seton Hall University, Is rather expensive. I did by that time have a partial soccer scholarship. So when you put the two together, the ROTC with the soccer, I was fully funded, books and dorm and food and all that included. So my dad said, why not? It's free. You know, try it. If you don't like it at the end of the year, tell them you didn't like ROTC. You have no commitment. So why not? Using again great sales techniques. And I did it. I uh, I tried that. Then once we moved into the the spring season, I was very much involved with the ranger program. I did eventually go to ranger school, although not finish, uh, one of my uh, biggest regrets, but got involved with the ranger program at Seton Hall and really enjoyed the military side of things. I'm, to this day, a big fan of structure, big fan of discipline. Uh, big fan of respect. And I think those things really spoke to me as well as, again, I was almost like my own little fraternity. So I had my athletic fraternity and my ROTC fraternity, if you will, of friends. And then at the end of that year, they say, hey, are you interested in extending? And oh, by the way, uh, one of the things we'd love to see you do is we'd love to see if you'd like to go jump out of helicopters at air assault school <laughs> this, this summer. I went ahead, signed on the dotted line, committed to being in the military post-college, got to rappel out of helicopters, a very demanding school that, that summer, and balanced doing that with preparing for my sophomore year of, of school and soccer.
0: What's the life first time you rappel out of a helicopter? What's that like?
1: I would say that's the last time that I rappelled out of a helicopter. <laughs> and it was unbelievable. I have a, a picture that somebody of me on one of those old disposable cameras back in the day. But I tell you, because uh, I went to both airborne and air assault school, that the thrill that I still have in my snowboarding, my mountain biking, surfing, all those extreme activities... I love that rush, uh, and I love pushing that rush to a level of knowing that I'm safe and secure in what I'm doing, and I've done all the prior precautions uh, to do, but I still live for that feeling, and I can almost imagine today what it feels like to be 1,500 feet in the air, as I got to do twice, standing in the door as we're traversing around in the plane at 1,500 feet, waiting for that light to turn green. And launch myself out into the air. It's a feeling like no other.
0: So, you graduate Seton Hall. I
1: did physics at Seton Hall, mechanical engineering at New Jersey Institute of Technology, and it was a co- combined program. So, I actually graduated on the, graduated on the same day wow. with both the physics and the mechanical engineering degree.
0: Graduate with both those degrees. What's your commitment to the Army look like at, at graduation time?
1: I had a four year commitment for active duty and then four years of inactive ready reserve.
0: Active duty, where and how did you spend your time?
1: Yeah, so man, this is fun. I tell you, I've not talked about this in a little while. My my active duty time, first, I had to go through the officer basic course down in Fort Sill, Oklahoma. I was commissioned as field artillery with a branch detail for military intelligence. So I would have gone into military intelligence if I decided to stay in after my four year mark. And something I feel, just like I feel in sales, it's important to carry the bag before you leave somebody who's carrying the bag or you move on to other roles in in marketing operations, et cetera. Uh, the military feels it's important for individuals to have been on the front lines in the field So then when you're in more of a support role, you can understand and appreciate the needs of those individuals that you are uh, supporting. So I went to Fort Sill, went through the officer basic course. At the same time, I was training for ranger school. So extremely uh, active throughout that time, trying to get myself in the best physical and mental shape. So as I went through and learned everything I needed to do to be a good and quality artillery officer. I was also spending a significant amount of time, to be honest, getting my mind straight, my body ready for what was to come immediately after in ranger school.
0: What's your ranger story? You mentioned when your biggest regrets were not completing. What happened there?
1: So I I tell this story a lot because a lot of things in in my life, I found a way to figure them out or to, to achieve them. And one of the things that I've I didn't do was graduate Ranger School, and if I were to look back again in hindsight, which is always great to reflect and do what the military we call an after action review, I definitely over indexed on the fitness side, as I was in the best physical shape of my entire life. I'd argue even better than when I played Division One soccer. I did not spend enough time on putting myself in some of the situations that I would be in, in ranger school. And one of the significant ones is you'd have your Kevlar on uh, with your uh, different devices that you do for mock firing exercises. You'd have a a rucksack on with upwards of a hundred pounds of weight. You might have a squad automatic weapon in addition to ammunition, in addition to water and going through that for days and days without food or limited, very limited food, very little to know or limited sleep and the stress that you'd go through. Those are the things that I did not prepare for. And those are the things that got the best of me. But I tell you on the back end, I feel into this day made me a much better leader because I think through those things and I think through what do people need in order to have the right mindset and to be able to do the things they need to do. You just can't operate. I'm a testament. Three days, no food, no sleep. You can't operate. <laughs> you you just can't think clearly. And where my mind went over the course of that time was absolutely unbelievable and has really showed me that the mind is an extremely powerful tool.
0: Thanks for sharing that. I'm a follower of Ryan Holiday, who writes about ancient wisdom for the modern world and Stoicism. One of the great quotes of Epictetus is who watches the watchman and the watchman's like your reasoning, their thought process, your mind, but there's things that physically influence that, like sleep, water, food. And in in the normal day, not in ranger training, but like in the normal day, if you're not well rested and you're dehydrated, maybe you drank too much the night before, maybe you're just not drinking enough water, simple as that. And you're not eating the right food. And you're all of a sudden pressed with a very stressful situation at work or at home, family, whatever comes at you, you're not going to respond like you would if you were better rested and better hydrated and you had better nutrition in your life. If you're in top physical shape, the mind follows the body, the body follows the mind. 100%. 100%. But then you took that lesson of saying, not only for you in the future, but you took it as a leader, take what do my people need? What do they need to make the right decisions They put their mind in the right spot? Now, that's really good. There's no mistakes in the world. Whatever happens is meant, was meant to happen. And, and you look back and you just got to learn how to adapt and adjust and figure out what the lesson is and to make it better the next time. It looks like you did that. Amazing. Yeah, I'm a big fan to build
1: on that uh, of failing forward. hmm It's okay to make mistakes, especially in a safe environment. And again, in in training, I'm a big fan for in training. And when you're learning, make mistakes, take risks, Mm -hmm. do things outside your comfort zone. So when it's game time, Mm -hmm. you've already made those mistakes uh, and you know how to overcome them and you've been in those situations and you're better for it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Two, two things I want to follow back on. You mentioned that it was important for you to know how to carry the bag, like actually to be in that situation to provide value for your team later on. We've all seen it in multiple companies where the person that's never did the job, if they're doing the training, you could tell in about 18 seconds, like (laughs) this person has never did this in their life. And it's just, they were like certified over a couple of conference calls or something like this person has no idea, like they've never been in. On the street in a big city with the customer moving 90 miles an hour who's ticked off because they got in a fight with their wife or husband before they went to work and they're showed up at the office and someone just quit and they're like, What are you here for? And they don't know what that's like. You have to walk the path to show the path. Like you can't be a tour guide in the Vatican if you never were at the Vatican before. You got to carry the bag before you can show the way. And then you mentioned about failing forward. That's a great book by John Maxwell. Is there a failure that you had? that set you up for a future success?
1: Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll share a different one because I definitely learned a ton from the, the Rangers school piece. Another one I'll stick with the military is, so here I am two years post playing division one college soccer, uh, still was very a- active uh, athletically and did a lot with my battalion to put a a sports program in place and built out a post-soccer team for Fort Riley, Kansas. And there was an opportunity for me to try out for the all-Army soccer team. And again, I have to admit, if I look back and reflect, I attended that tryout as I'm a D1 soccer player. And of course, you're going to select me because I played for Seton Hall. I felt I was a a quality soccer player, and I don't think I did anything spectacular during that that tryout as I don't feel like I necessarily needed to. And I remember being flown out to those tryouts. And after a very short period of time, they posted on the board who would be moving on to, to the next round. And my name was not on that list. And I tell you, talking about bringing someone down and reminding them who they are and reminding one what you need to do in order to achieve and the work you need to put in, the preparation that goes along with that, that was a major kick in the pants and also a big wake up call for me to to this day that you're never done and you're never fully, fully prepared and you can always do more. And this is a story I've shared with my my kids quite a few times is fast forward one year later, there's that opportunity to try out again. And fortunately, my commanding officer allowed me to go and attend those tryouts and to participate. And I prepared for those. And I trained and got myself back into the the physical shape back, got my touch back to where it needed to be. I made sure that I was on the ball more often, that I put myself in positions to, to demonstrate what I was capable of. And I took that as a challenge that this year I'm going to make that team. And to very quickly fast forward, not only did I make that team, but I ended up being one of the co-captains of that team. So from one year before not making the team to being a major contributor, starter, and co-captain, the next year, for me, it shows what you can do when you put your mind to it, when you approach it in that way, and you personally do what's needed to make sure that you're ready.
0: When there's a list that you feel you should be on and it's posted in public... (laughs) and you're not on it. It's an amazing wake up call, isn't it?
1: 100%. Yeah,
0: not as dramatic sophomore year in high school, I was a baseball player my whole life. The first thing I remember our parents buying me is a glove like a 5 or 6 years old. Always loved baseball. I always thought I was going to play like second base for the Phillies my whole life. It's all my head cleared. But like in <laughs> high school, like sophomore year, we got a new baseball coach It was a new teacher at the school and we had a practice in Philly. Anyone who played baseball in South Jersey or Philly or baseball season starts in March, and it's usually on a parking lot because the weather is horrendous. There's still snow on the ground or if it's not, it just melted and it's just on marshland. So you're practicing on the school parking lot and on with rubber baseballs. And we had two tryouts. It was like 35 degrees. You're in winter coats. And I had a horrendous tryout. Like he maybe threw five pitches at me. I swung through them all. And every ground ball he hit me went right through my legs. Like, like I was like five hours and f- three strikeouts. Like I was horrendous. And then I was surprised where three days later they were posted the list. And I'm like, oh my gosh, they forgot to put my name on. I could not believe I was never cut before in my life. Got cut. I think I cried for three days till my dad said, Stop <laughs> crying. I had an uncle who grabbed me and said, "We're going to do martial arts." Threw me in a dojo, and I've been training since then. And it's just, it's the little weird things like that. That was an amazing wake-up call. You got to show up when when you got to show up. You know,
1: a great story.
0: So let's switch gears a little. How'd you time to leave the army and not make a career
1: of it? Wanted a family. Not to say you can't do that in the army. And, And I'm so extremely grateful. For those, uh, such as Chase's godfather, roommate, uh, ROTC cadet with mine, graduated in the Ranger class uh, ahead of me, who have dedicated their entire professional career to being in the military, it is not easy. And uh, at that time, which is a little bit funny to think about, I was familiar with pretty much growing up in one place and wanting to provide that for my kids. And didn't feel in the military I'd be able to do that. As in the military, pretty much every four years or so, you're moving to a new station in a new part of the country. And at that time, there were some locations that you could go where they were unaccompanied, such as Korea, for example. And uh, you'd be there without your family for a few years. And uh, that's just not what I, I wanted uh, for myself and uh, my family, and then also my wife being a summa cum laude graduate from Seton Hall and got her master's in business administration from Kansas State University. She wanted to go and get her career started as well and felt that it was the best decision for us uh, to, to depart from the Army. As much as I loved every single moment and still have some of the, the fondest memories of the teams we built and all that we accomplished.
0: So how does someone with a physics degree and a mechanical engineering degree go into sales? You would think the two are so not related. How does that happen?
1: Yeah, so great question. And I put the parallel to why I am where I am today. And it was driven by the people and the culture of the organization. So I was an army officer at the time. The job market really liked military and was a big fan of people with military service. I think in terms of their ability to their work ethic, work unsupervised, do the things that they need to do, learn different skills and tasks quickly. So there was a lot of companies that were looking and I was able to get interviews with a lot of different organizations out there and a lot of which more leveraged my physics and mechanical engineering background. They exuded that we put people first, and we're an organization that develops its people, that takes care of its people, that does right for its people. And we're working in a space of CNS, which helps change people's lives for the better it resonates in particular to me could because my mom has suffered with mental illness for a large portion of her life and to be able to know that i'm providing education and potentially medications that could help individuals such as her gives me great pride and i tell you it's what gets me jumping out of bed before many people uh, even roll over for the first time in the morning. That's what it's all about.
0: You got to get the people first. You get the people stuff right. A lot of the other stuff falls in the line. And you treat people right. You give them the training they need. Like you mentioned, you learned uh, when you were a ranger, you realized there's certain things you did not do for yourself so, where you couldn't respond the way you wanted, but you know, in the leadership role make sure your people have what they need so they can respond what they want decades later. Like you're still learning from that. How does someone from Seaside Heights, Seton Hall, Big East Championship, ROTC, wind up in the West Coast, Southern California.
1: Yeah, I I tell you, if I were to be honest, I loved my time in Knoxville, Tennessee. I would move back today if that opportunity afforded itself. My family may go kicking and screaming as they absolutely love Southern California. And I have to tell you, there's minus the cost of living, there's not much else uh, bad about living in Southern California. It's rather spectacular. But I, I, I tell you at that point in time, my, my daughter is a, is a ballerina. and She actually leaves in a couple of weeks to head out to, uh, to Denver where she was supposed to head out in the fall to dance with the Colorado Ballet. She was beginning her dance career at the time. They were spending their summers anyway out in Southern California. So they were interested in Southern California for some time. We had an absolutely incredible head of training at that time that I never thought was going to leave that role or move on to, to something else. And thank goodness she did. And it opened up an, an opportunity to lead training, again, in neuroscience, an area that's that I have a great passion for. And I would say, again, another great leader, but I feel he took a chance on me. I had not done a job at that level. But again, I feel a lot of what we're talking about today in terms of how I have overcome adversity in in my life and the challenges and the fight and uh, the grit that I had demonstrated in order to do the things that I've done over the course of my life. And I think he saw someone who could figure that out and was blessed with the ability to relocate my family from Knoxville, Tennessee to Irvine, California. And uh, we have loved it.
0: You mentioned the word grit a few times. And I know one of the books we share that influenced us both through the years is uh, Angela Duckworth's book, Grit. Absolutely. Some fast cakes. I got three or four of my favorite quotes from the book, Grit, and I just want want you to get your thoughts on them. One of them, one of my favorite quotes is, enthusiasm is common. Endurance is rare. From your experience, what what can you add to that? So I'd
1: say the ability for someone, I, I have quite high energy. I am very passionate about what I do. Can you bring that? each and every day that is not easy. We all have good days, we all have bad days. But how do you bring your personal and self best even when you're not having the best day? Because again for me it's long ago been about me, which is a lot of what we're talking about today. But again a lot of that foundation has gotten me to the place of I would say probably close to Five years ago, it's no longer about me. And I'm not chasing that next thing anymore. What I'm trying to do is, I'm chasing getting all my people prepared and capable to do the things that they want to do personally and professionally. And how do I bring my best every single day for them and forget about me in that picture?
0: One of my big influencers is Seth Godin, a uh, big fan of his work. And he has a little book that just changed my mind a couple of years ago. It's called The Dip. And it's I've big, not read that. You'll have to, I'll have
1: to take a lesson.
0: And it's basically whatever you're trying at some point, it gets hard. Say you join a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu school. I want to learn how to defend myself, or I want to learn how to fight. You join a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu school. You're excited. You jump in. You go to the first class. You learn to move. Wow, I know a rear naked choke. It's all great. But then four or five, six classes later, Then you start getting smashed. Then you start getting tapped out. Then you start getting bruised. Then it gets hard. Then they show you a move you don't understand and everyone else gets it, but not you. And you're struggling. Now you're at the part where you got to put the work in. The enthusiasm waned. Now you got to put the work in and grind to slowly build your skill set. And it's, are you in or are you out? Do you want to put the hard work it is to make your new calling easy? And and that's the point where you have to figure out do you quit or just move on to something else, or do you put the work in, be bad, or even suck for a while D- until you start recreating yourself in that little world? And uh, I always found, like you mentioned before, it life's like a series of trade-offs. When the enthusiasm wanes, do you have the endurance to put in the hard work to make what you're doing easy? You also mentioned it's not about me. I found parenting and leading a team are tremendously easier. When you realize it's no longer about you, could you speak to that?
1: Yeah, I tell you, that's a great one. And as someone who fought so hard to be able to achieve and to be able to show to others, coming from a small Jersey Shore beach town that I can hang with others, that. I probably felt wasn't at that same level for a long period of time. I was constantly fighting to show that I could operate at that level. It wasn't until not long ago that I stopped thinking about that. My current team has something called the value of we is greater than I, with this mentality of no matter how good any one individual is. You will never rise as high in what you're able to accomplish if we all rise together. If we all have one other's back. And I tell you, that's made leading fun.
0: It reminds me of that quote, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Go together. Yeah. It's just so on the money. Another quote that just jumps out at me at that book is that Duckworth says, talent counts, but effort counts twice.
1: Yeah, I tell you, I, I say skill versus will. So there's a lot of people out there. I'd argue that have the the skill uh, to do things. A lot of people that were much more naturally gifted than me. But I tell you what, all day long, uh, I will battle on the will side of things, and I will take somebody with a little bit less skill because I feel I can teach that we could. Help level up them on the skill, it is extremely hard. And in all the years of coaching, I have to admit, I have not figured out a way to get somebody on the will. If they are not willing to get up earlier, if they are not willing to get to that call before anyone else in the field, you can't teach that. Either someone has that ingredient in themselves or, or they just don't have that in them to go that
0: extra mile. It's one of my favorite quotes. I I try to live my life by this, but the quote is, life is less about brilliant strategy and all about who wants it more. Yeah. You can't defeat someone who keeps going. Like you could hold them back for a round. You could say, hey, not now, or maybe, or you could say now's not your time. But if that person keeps going and keeps iterating and keeps trying to get a little bit better each day and keeps showing up, and keeps grinding through, you can't stop a person that way. They're going to go places that maybe more talented but less motivated people just can't get to. That person is very dangerous in a way as they they really can insert a lot of influence over their little world through just sheer tenacity.
1: I tell you, Joe, so he- here I am, let's see, 25 years into my professional career, and uh, I headed back to school and I'm getting my MBA at the University of Southern California, hopefully graduating here in in May of this year. And for me, even as far into my career as I am am far from done learning, I do not know nearly all that I need to know, again, in order to help my team, in order to help my organization achieve what we want to do down the road. And uh, it's been absolutely exhausting, I will tell you. It's a very early morning before the the sun comes up to do what's needed. But the value I feel I'm going to be able to bring my people and my organization as a result of the time that I've put in and the investment uh, in myself, I think will pay huge dividends down the road.
0: That is amazing because if you just look at your resume, you have a degree in mechanical engineering, you have a degree in physics, you're a commissioned army officer in the past, you went on a soccer scholarship. You would think, how many people just check, I'm good? I guess at some point you got to drive to LA to be on campus, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for the first year until the, prior to the pandemic, every other Friday, Saturday was up in, right. in Los Angeles.
0: And what's that ride from San Diego? It's not pretty. Well,
1: we, <laughs> it all depends. That could be 45 minutes at one in the morning. Or two days. Or it could be three hours, <laughs> or, uh, or three rush days. hour, which rush hour is about eight hours of the day. So.
0: Yes, that's, but that takes a high level of humility saying, you know what? I don't have all the answers, no matter what experience I had in the past, what job I covered, what I did, what my degree says on the wall. But also, you have to lower your ego. You have to put your ego to a side and say, you know what? There's things out there I am not exposed to, and I have to up my game to stay relevant. Yeah, I tell you, again, I've spent a good part of my career now
1: in learning and development. And a couple of things I ask of others is that I have intellectual curiosity. And with my prior boss, I said, at some point... I did not have to Google just about every term that's used in these up-level meetings that I'm starting to participate in. I would like to engage and I'd like to be able to participate at a different level. And again, having more of a science background, I just did not know the marketing and the business side of things, wanting to be able to, to contribute at a higher level. I realized if I want to be able to do that, I've got to get back to school. And again, the talent of the group of individuals in my cohort of L.A. Class 35, it's absolutely unbelievable. So to be surrounded by individuals that want to learn and work all across the United States of America and different Capacities. So there are people that fly in from North Carolina, from Texas, from all over the country to be able to participate in this. Yet I feel me driving up the 405 is, is the least of, of what I have to do.
0: Wrapping up here, just a couple of rapid fire questions. When you need to clear your head or charge your body or reset your mind, what do you do?
1: I work out. It's mountain biking because I can do it right out of the driveway. But then it's also, as I just signed up for my first half Ironman in October, it's getting to the pool, swimming laps, it's going for a run, throwing on a good podcast or a good book while I'm running, putting my head somewhere else outside of what I've been focusing on throughout the day.
0: What values do you try to pass on to your kids?
1: I would say, without a doubt, hard work. We were just talking about it last night. We were talking about grit and having the passion, the perseverance. And I feel they both have the passion. They know what they want to do, but it's that perseverance that it's not just going to come to you. And I'm not just going to give it to them just as others are not going to give it to them. How do I provide a little bit of that opportunity for me and others not to give it and for them to earn it and to work hard and to fail forward and to find their way to work through those types of obstacles.
0: We spoke about your kids there. So if you go back and talk to the people that were sitting around that dinner table when you were 10 years old, what would you want to tell them? First and
1: foremost, that I love them. And at that time, at that dinner table, it was my younger sister and younger brother. It would be that we can do this. We will stick together. We will support one another. And there is nothing that the three of us together can't accomplish.
0: Last question If you had to get a quote or uh, say a tattoo on your body, What would that quote or motto say?
1: I wish I could give you a quick quote, but I don't necessarily have one. It's more learning to appreciate failure and failing forward is a good thing and take the time to reflect and learn from it in order to be better.
0: That is probably a great spot to wrap up. Joe G, great to see you. I can Actually, talk to you
1: forever, Joe. I tell you, I miss you. Congratulations. Wish you nothing but the best. Please pick up the phone. And I, I tell you, uh, I'm, ex- I'm excited for you and humbled and honored that you think of me to, to be on here today.
0: I uh, appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I wish you nothing but the best. Keep rocking, stay in touch, and hopefully I'll, we'll running into each other out there on the West Coast. You got it. Please. I would love nothing,
1: nothing else. Take care, yeah. sir. Take care,
0: Georgie.